you're listening to the Nonprofit Buildup Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Campbell. I want to support movements that can interrupt cycles of injustice and inequity and shift power towards vulnerable and marginalized communities. I've spent years working in and with nonprofits and philanthropies, and I know how important infrastructure is to outcomes. On this show, we'll talk about how to build capacity to transform the way you and your organization work. Hi, everyone. It's Katie, Buildup's Manager of Global Operations. This week on the Nonprofit Buildup, Nick is continuing the conversation with Asta and Thaddeus of Social Impact Commons. Social Impact Commons is a nonprofit organization created to meet the evolving needs of the fiscal sponsorship community. Social Impact Commons is building the first national network and community of practice, advancing management commons as a model of equitable and inclusive resource sharing for the nonprofit sector, aka a next generation approach to fiscal sponsorship. Asta is the Chief Financial Steward of Social Impact Commons with over 20 years of experience on strategic financial management, diverse use of technology, and organizational capacity development. Thaddeus is the Social Impact Commons Chief Commons Steward with over 20 years of experience in nonprofit management, focusing on arts and cultural heritage. If you have not listened to part one of this conversation, feel free to jump back to episode 49. But with that, here is Nick's conversation with Asta and Thaddeus. Okay, so welcome back, Asta and Thaddeus, to the nonprofit buildup. So we had such a good conversation last time. We wanted to continue it. I know that I have some questions that were still lingering from that conversation that I wanted us to dig into. And one of my first questions, and I'll just jump right into it, is to talk a little bit more about the work you've been doing in terms of researching the field of fiscal sponsorship, the data that you've been uncovering and how that research and all of that data is now informing the way you're structuring your organization, how you're working with fiscal sponsors and projects. Just love to hear a little bit more about the research that you've been engaged in. I'll be happy to start, but I appreciate that you input into this as well. One of the things that we know for sure is that one of the data sources that exists for fiscal sponsorship is a fiscal sponsorship directory, which references that there is about four, less than 400 fiscal sponsors overall that are self-identified or otherwise they serve around 15,000 fiscal sponsees. That's what we know from this data source. But then as we dig deeper and from our community conversations uh, and overall our connections with a number of different nonprofit sector um, connectors, we notice that that directory, while it represents a portion of the market, it definitely doesn't cover a full complexity and a maturity of the market that currently exists. You know, we another data source that we have is a candid <laughs> 990s research, and that references that fiscal sponsor as word is referenced in over 700 uh, organizations uh, in their descriptions. So how detailed or effective their services are, it's quite a bit unknown. Therefore, we are working with National Network of Fiscal Sponsors to really at least at this point, to start a research project as to how many fiscal sponsors currently exist, how big of a community they currently support, and 
in the long run, where we would really love to go is start to talk about impact, how much of an impact, both from the financial perspective, but also social and justice perspective, are the fiscal sponsors achieving through their services. So that's really where we would love to go, but we're not there yet. You know, at this point, we just want to even understand how much of a known of a market, if I may use the for-profit sector wording, currently exists. So that's the piece. What we also have done uh, as an organization, we've done some very specific studies of both separate fiscal sponsors as to what is the portfolio of projects that they have, what is the impact of, what is the size, complexity of that portfolio, and what can we learn from it uh, to further maximize the supports for the current community and for future communities? How does that portfolio compare to the currently independent nonprofits as well, if we were to look at some of the similarities as well? So those are some of the studies that we've done for a number of fiscal sponsors, and it it starts to create a picture a bit of how some fiscal sponsors, what type of supports fiscal sponsors offer, and what makes more impact or less impact towards the growth of the fiscal sponsees, towards the transitions that we see between the fiscal sponsors and fiscal sponsees, and so on. So we are starting to synthesize a lot of that data that we are able to pick up from our one-on-one conversations into more of a sector-wide view. But there is so much more work to be done, and it definitely requires a more multitudinal studies as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the field has a very suffers a, a bit from a lack of data, and there's a lot of speaking very generally about data-informed decision making, which you know has, has arisen as a as a standard of management, certainly in more recent history in in the West, has some very valid critiques that were over data and over. Uh, quantitative based, we we overemphasize quantitative based analysis and things of that nature. That there's all kinds of challenges with data from an equity and justice standpoint, and and understanding that all of those things are true, there still is a value to using data constructively to to inform management decisions. And you know, as Asta said, we're thinking about data from the standpoint of what kind of data is important to have internally as a management tool, and or at least an input into decisions. For management, so the portfolio analyses and such are instrumental in that. But at a broader level for the field, uh, in terms of the general contours, depth, breadth, demography of the field that Austin mentioned, it's been 15 years since we've gathered that, and much has taken place in that time period. So we feel it's long overdue to gather that that information, take a look at it at this point. Even the organizations that we can identify through, whether it's GuideStar or the Research Center, uh, we know that they are probably only part of the picture and maybe, maybe a small part of the picture in all likelihood, because there are many, many informal fiscal sponsors out there or fiscal sponsors that are very formal, but just don't identify as a fiscal sponsor. So they never come to the plate. They never come to the kind of annual convening or they don't identify as a member of, of us or the national network. And maybe they don't even mention fiscal sponsorship in their candid profile. You know, those are, there, there are a lot of organizations like that. Or they do, and they don't use that lingo. They, they have chosen not to use fiscal sponsorship. So they're just, you know, they're using some other term. So there's a big dark side of the moon out there in terms of the landscape that we're not necessarily 
immediately going to get our hands on, but we know needs to be navigated at some point. Our immediate work with the National Network of Fiscal Sponsors is to do a basic field scan survey. So we're going to just start with reaching the people we know for whom we have contact information. We can knock on their door and say, you know, how big are you and who do you support? And so it'll be a, a bit of a field census type data collecting project that we hope to launch uh, a little bit later this spring and and then publish the results of which towards the end of the calendar year. And that'll be our first step of getting our hands around some of that. The impact and health metrics question has really dogged the nonprofit sector for years. The matter of large-scale or field-wide impact or sector-wide impact has really plagued or challenged the field for a long time because of the diversity of its work. And you've got thousands, hundreds of thousands of organizations, even if they're working within a similar field like health and human services or environmental, each of those orgs is liable to have a slightly different theory of change or intervention or model of how they're doing their service, which makes it virtually impossible to kind of gross all that up into one giant metric. Now, we do have global metrics of of impact and social good that have been accepted. And there's lots of global efforts to kind of generalize impact. And certainly our field can participate in those. But we see fiscal sponsors as as being uniquely positioned to talk about impact at a different level of the ecosystem and one that can have, I think, more commonized and broader implications despite the diversity of the field on the ground. And because fiscal sponsors are intermediaries, if you want to use that term, or umbrellas for all of this diverse activity, any given fiscal sponsor may have lots and lots of diversity under it. But what it does for each of those diverse organizations is, in fact, relatively uniform. You know, So if we want to be really simple about this, if you're a Model A fiscal sponsor and you're doing finance, HR, legal, you're doing the transactional sort of core back office supports, regardless of whether it's an environmental project or health and human service, arts and culture, the stuff you're doing as a fiscal sponsor is going to be pretty uniform across those, right? So we can start to talk about what is the impact on the sponsor sponsor to project and sort of stop there as, and not necessarily worry about project to their beneficiaries of the landscape. That's going to be a much bigger, more diverse and complicated question. But I think if we if we start to get our field to center on what is the impact that we're having on our projects, we can start to come up with some much more commonized and indeed shareable, comparable, not apples to oranges, but apples to apples, notions of impact from sponsor to sponsor in terms of that layer in which they're acting, that layer of the ecosystem. And if we take that one step further, you know, we've talked a lot about what is a sponsor really doing in terms of impact? What is the evidence of that impact? And beyond just how many checks get written on behalf of the project, or, you know, those are all important transactional impacts, but, you know, this isn't a, a definitive theory, but, you know, we, we like to think about the work of fiscal sponsors as essentially caring for the people who are caring for. We are caring for the humans that do the work of social good. And, in doing that, it really is about the flourishing of the teams that are doing the, the project teams that we're supporting. And the hypothesis there, if we want to talk about a, a very grand theory of scale, is that healthier, more flourishing, adequate, you know, uh, appropriately capacity, you know, supported 
teams doing social work will do better and more impactful social work. So if an environmental conservation company's team is supported by, by a fiscal sponsor and gets those benefits, the work they do on the ground to conserve natural resources will be more impactful, more effective. So healthier, happier teams make better impacts on the ground. And so that's a hypothesis, you know, and but imagine a day where we could, as a fiscal sponsorship field, measure that health, the health that we are conferring or enabling amongst those teams and say, that is the impact that fiscal sponsors offer. It really is is more of a human well-being and sort of almost uh, job flourishing impact if we want to really get it down to kind of a core. That's a future vision, but it's, I think, an achievable vision in that we do have, at this point, hundreds, if not thousands of valorized metrics and measures for how we measure effectiveness and employee health and happiness flourishing, which is actually a defined psychological field in the in the positive psychology field. You know, we've got scientific theories of flourishing that have been tested and have metric systems. So, you know, what we couldn't measure 40 years ago before the advent of a lot of the behavioral sciences, we can measure now, you know, and these are the things that we feel are really kind of instrumental to the impact of what sponsors are doing. So they're not actually writing checks. They're making, they're, they're supporting more healthy and, and, and motivated, energized and dynamic teams. That, that's a hypothesis, you know, right. people, may, people may not agree with that. And not all fiscal sponsors may think that that's what they're doing. But if, if, if I were to choose something to kind of strive for as an impact metric, that, that would certainly be my preference. Asta, were you going to add something? I think we have yet to have those conversations with the field at large and uh, yeah. the, the start. And we really uh, are starting with just our members to have the conversation about what is your, your true impact and how we could create the tools that could provide us an opportunity to document shared impact for at least our members to start with. Uh, beyond that, I think the key piece that we are able to document right now that that we have not been able uh, that uh, we have not been able to fully advertise just yet is the key aspect of indirect costs. Right, it's about how fiscal sponsors enable to start with enable to indirectly save the programs. Save on the indirect cost and repurpose the, all of those funds to be spent on all those savings to repurpose all of them to be saved on, uh, and spent on the programmatic level. So I think that's the piece that we uh, we could definitely start with as to how fiscal sponsors are actually reinvestors of the resources. And from our documentation and data crunching side, we've been able to do a couple of these studies where we were able to compare uh, geographic data for nonprofits in both Philadelphia as as well as San Francisco Bay Area. The actual independent nonprofits, how much do they spend on their indirect costs versus how much is being spent by fiscal sponsees in those geographic areas based on the rates of the fiscal sponsors that are charging in those areas. And what we saw was at the minimum 10% of overall costs are being saved by being and operating under the fiscal sponsor environment. And that's huge. You know, we calculated that for, for Philadelphia area nonprofits, it's $6 million just put 
back into the sector just by people choosing to be in the collaborative sector, in the collaborative relationship rather than running their own infrastructures. And uh, when we uh, cumulatively talk about uh, in the macroeconomics, I think our calculations reached that $200 million could be returned back to the sector towards the program-related efforts just by people choosing to be in the fiscal sponsorship relationship. And that's just that $200 million is just if we grew the sector a certain percentage, right? Yeah. So, and, and the 10%, you know, we feel is on the lower end. Conservative, you know, yes. It's conservative, so there could be much more. But even if we take that, you know, that 10% factor, if... So we know that, that basically 97% of the sector operates below $5 million, right? So that's 1.1 million nonprofits are out there currently, roughly today. 97% of them operate below $5 million, 80% below half million. Those are all prime candidates to share back office infrastructure because of their scale, right? They're just, they're, they're the organizations that are most appropriate. So most of our sector should be fiscally sponsored if it's being efficient with its back office overhead, full stop. And our sector is about $2.2 trillion right now. So 10%, if we say most folks, what if we could wave a wand and restructure the whole sector tomorrow, 97% of it, in local, regional, identifying, or field-specific fiscal sponsors? I'm not proposing this all go up into kind of one giant Uber fiscal sponsor. That's a a dystopic vision, to, to say the least. But if we could have more fiscal sponsors out there consolidating and sharing backbone with more of these organizations, you know, that's $200 billion in reallocable... If I'm doing my math right, I always get my zeros wrong when I do percents of big numbers. But I think, you know, 10% of 2.2 trillion, right, is, is 200 billion. That's almost the total grant making capacity of philanthropy per year today. Right. Yeah, just to put some very, very round, like yeah. macroeconomic numbers out there. That's a massive, a massive efficiency gain yeah. in terms of, or it's a massive reallocation of assets directly to services and programs versus spending it on the burn of infrastructure. And, you know, that's where we see the, the most compelling case right. for, for this kind of work, right? Right. So when you're, you're talking about the savings, it sounds like there's a lot of efficiency just coming out of the fiscal sponsorship model and your research and the data that's coming back is helping to support that. A question that's coming up for me, and it, it stems from what Asta started to, what Asta shared in the beginning was there's lots of, organizations out there that are calling themselves fiscal sponsors, right? They may have one project, they're taking it on as a, a favor, who knows the reasons, but then there are a, a set of organizations that are clearly calling themselves fiscal sponsors. There's others who are not identifying as fiscal sponsors, but they might also be engaged in fiscal sponsorship. And so when I take a look at that landscape, or I'm, I'm thinking about that landscape of organizations that are all within this fiscal sponsorship field in some way. And they're so diverse in terms of the services that they're offering. And then, you know, to go back to what you all had shared about this equity design, right? When you're, you're thinking about equitable design and saying, no, fiscal sponsor, this is your responsibility. How are you doing that consistently across that landscape where some of them aren't even seeing themselves as, as fiscal sponsors? And then when we talk about cost efficiency, are we putting that 
Or how are we considering efficiency when we've got organizations that are actually supposed to be doing something completely different and maybe they're taking on a couple of projects here and there and they're part of this fiscal sponsorship field as well. And so the, the questions that are coming up for me is how do you start to make sense out of such a, a field where, yes, there is a, a, a it sounds like there is a contained group of organizations that are calling themselves fiscal sponsors showing up the way that we are thinking of fiscal sponsors. But then there seems to be a lot of space for other organizations to kind of step in and, and do somewhat of the same thing. And so how are we taking the data from that? How are we taking learnings? How are we measuring impact for fiscal sponsorship as a result of all of that diversity? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, a matter of patterning and values, so design principles and patterning versus establishing and trying to propagate or enforce rigid models or, or, or overly rigid standards because we want the diversity of practice that exists out there. You know, this is not about turning the fiscal sponsorship uh, world into Stepford, right? You know, <laughs> But there are there are practices out there that are effective. There are practices that are not so effective. I mean, you know, objectively speaking, there are practices that are more conducive to consolidating and centralizing power, and there are practices that are more conducive to distributing power. And depending on what you want to do, you know, you're going to choose the practice that fits that that value set. You know, we we come at this individually, like, you know, we're not here to create all fiscal sponsors in in the particular image that we're holding up because we you know realistically recognize that the world is far more diverse for us to, you know for us to do that you know so when we talk about practice you know we center as we talked about in the last episode on commenting values and sort of equity based principles and within those principles there are certain patterns of practice there are options like if you want to do x there's five or six different practices that have, are discernible out there. And there may be more as people invent and discover, but we're interested in gathering and then holding up those practices that at least lead to certain values and design principles. They can be wielded and used to make very different kinds of structures, you know, like Legos, you know, they all kind of have a form, but you can build lots of different things out of them. And that's good. That's healthy for, for an ecosystem in terms of, you know, the efficiency and like, what do you do with an organization that does this on the side, you know, generally, you know, I, I think that, that that's a good thing. We should encourage that because, you know, human nature, first of all, there, you know, in, human individuality always wants to, wants to invent and wants to kind of take agency in creating their own vision for the world. And I think we need to nurture that and not say, like, that's a bad thing. And secondly, the circumstances of local situations, like an organization working in a, you know, one town versus another, will simply have different needs and contours, right? So you need to trust people to kind of implement locally and be able to find the best and most expedient solution. And it may not be working with this dedicated fiscal sponsor over here. It may be the local church or small nonprofit doing that fiscal sponsorship. And I, I, yeah, I mean, yes, you could argue that there's, you know, ultimately the most efficient solution would be some giant corporate, you know, behemoth that just delivers this out in a kind of Metrop, you know, sort of Fritz Long metropolis <laughs> in some sort of futuristic dystopia. And I don't think that's ever, you know, should be the case or where we should head. There is a, an impact and efficiency, even though it presents problems in collecting that data. We're never going to have perfect data on the field. But I think it should be encouraged wherever possible because think about how, I mean, for instance, you know, take solar energy as an analog, 
if we were really serious about solar energy, we would be not supporting people putting panels on their roofs. We would be building giant solar farms and we would be having people purchase solar energy from giant solar farms. But we recognize that a diversity of tactics is needed to kind of move in that direction. So we need both people putting panels on their roofs and we need solar farms out in the middle of the desert. You know, citizen scientists, like we've got research institutes, but we've also recognized that to get true impact, we need to sort of spread the wealth and also spread the agency to people, you know, out there who may not be professional scientists, but can get certain data and certain work done for us, right? So the distribution of impact and the model, I think, is very important and something we should encourage versus discourage. I think the downsides, the upsides far outweigh the downsides of doing that. That's my own personal opinion, using those using those analogs, you know. Yes, and I think this is wonderful, Nicole. Your, your question is absolutely on target. What we are observing is a wide diversity. Some organi- some organizations choose to be very much transactional in their fiscal sponsorship services, and some choose to be very transformational and really become close partners. And what I'm excited about is to see the data behind the scenes of how that changes the flourishment of the fiscal sponsees and if that changes the flourishment of the fiscal sponsees by choosing one pattern using that is words or another pattern of uh, relationship as well as the services the depth of services that one might provide choosing the community driven supports or in community driven needs that are there or not just being very um, traditional and i'm just going to provide an um, in a sense of back office accounting and insurance and that's it we also have seen quite a big diversity in fees and that also sometimes speaks towards how new fiscal sponsor is um, how much philanthropy is contributed towards the fees. So fee in and of itself should not be also a decision maker how effective fiscal sponsor is or is not. And whether it relates to comprehensively covers all of the supports or not, I think is a question. So I understand why the philanthropy is often asking what fiscal sponsorship fee really covers. But what we observed is most of the fiscal sponsors' fees are capped at I think it answered around 16, 18, 20 at the most. But there's still a, quite a number of fiscal sponsors that offer fees that are lower than PayPal transactions. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, I would leave it for the individuals who are choosing fiscal sponsorship to ask more questions about it and about the sustainability. And what Social Impact Commons is really interested in is about how to make these organizations more sustainable, how to make sure that they are thinking clearly and with intentionality, not only about what are the services that they offer, but also how they are offering. And meaning, uh, are they uh, offering it with distributed power, with additional with additional intentionality from the equity and diversity perspective? And then beyond that, is also about the systems, right? <laughs> the infrastructure, it doesn't end only, but if you all of a sudden the organization takes on additional very, very large project, not thinking about it, what they need to build out first really might lead to a 
conflict in the relationship in the long run. So I think what we see ourselves is really opportunity to collaborate and build more intentionality into fiscal sponsors' practices, whether they are completely new fiscal sponsor or a fully established long-term community member and community service provider. No, this, it all makes sense. And what I'm hearing is that the diversity within the fiscal sponsorship field is a good thing. And mm-hmm. we are approaching it, keeping all of that diversity in mind and using these, what we're sharing as principles, a framework, not like these rigid standards that fiscal sponsors uh, have to comply with. And really, when you think about the sector outside of fiscal sponsorship, this is something we should be moving towards as a sector anyway, right? So I I really like the framing of it. And a question that's coming up for me is around leadership and management, because we're talking about a lot of different types of transitions that actually have to happen within the space, within the sector. And just from experience, and uh, I've found that these kinds of shifts don't happen unless they're being led by the the boards, the, the leadership, the management of the organization, unless they're behind it as well. So I'd love to hear what you all are seeing, um, the work that you're doing around leadership and management within the fiscal sponsor space. Yeah, I mean, leadership is paramount, and that sounds like a trite thing to say because that's that you would think that that's obvious. But we we tend to still really look at at HR issues as like what's the job description and you know what's the job title and how do we how does it all fit into the chart and all that kind of stuff. And you know we're we're very subscribed to the notion that that all team members at a fiscal sponsor should have leadership attributes and traits, regardless of what their job title is, regardless of where they sit in the kind of firmament. But there are there are lots of different dimensions and theories of leadership. But I think, you know, leaders that what we see as one of the biggest challenges is a, a kind of deficit and a challenge to develop and retain strong leaders in the fiscal sponsorship space. We're seeing a lot of lack and challenge on that front. And it's not that there aren't any good leaders, but the ones that are good aren't aren't often staying around, you know, and that's that's not unique to fiscal sponsorship, but I think it's it's more acutely felt in the sponsorship field because we have a it's a very intense, it's like being an ER, the chief of emergency medicine in a large hospital, right? You're doing a lot of triage work and it and it can and it can really create a lot of stress. So we need to nurture strong leaders, keep sustaining them, encourage them and keep them in our field, right? And we've done a lot of thinking internally and observing just of what are the particular leadership attributes that are needed in the fiscal sponsorship space, which may not be the same as everywhere else. And we really recognize the need to to more intentionally build uh, and retain leaders for the field. So we're currently you know, thinking about some ways that we could do that uh, programmatically and through the work that we're doing with our community. But if this field is to grow, and flourish if we're going to have more and better fiscal sponsors, which is kind of our basic purpose and vision for the field. We need great operate. We need both a a more, much more available tools. So as we've I think talked about before, we're developing kind of a knowledge commons for fiscal sponsorship. You know, we do that sort of informally now through our member conversations and our work individually with members. But we're actually literally envisioning a website where you could go to and you could download and explore and take curricula and do all kinds of things. It would be all things, you know, all things related to fiscal sponsorship and, and kind of multi-mission management. 
so that it could be more DIY. So if you were a person out there interested and you you wanted to go and educate yourself, you could have that resource available. We do not, we have tremendous collective knowledge in the field. We have not collected it yet <laughs> and made it more democratically and readily available. So the knowledge exists, it needs to be sent, it needs to be centralized and collected and vetted. You know, we want to make sure that those practices we're sharing cleave, as we said before, to sort of values and, and principles that we think are worth lifting up in the field. And so we need that toolkit, but we also need great users of those tools. And that's where the leadership component comes in because the tools alone don't get it done. That's actually the easy part. The hard part is building the leadership. And one of the key components in there, in addition to the various attributes and theories of what makes a strong leader that are out there, we want to develop, and this is, I think, very specific to our view of the world, leaders that are that are oriented towards the notions and values of commenting and have been essentially, I'm going to use this word, it's a little controversial, deprogrammed from private sector thinking about the world. Because the air we breathe is all private asset management, private asset thinking. There are private assets, there are private markets out there, and they do their thing. But we are so embedded in a you know, private sector, capital, free capital market mentality that we've imposed that and we think about the nonprofit sector that way. And the nonprofit sector is serves a very different purpose. And I will just say does not behave, uh, nor should it behave the way private asset management and capital markets and quote unquote businesses behave. You know, the reason we don't use those terms in our in our practice is that I, I find them completely incoherent with the sector. And we and I believe that the vast project largely of the management consulting field to essentially appropriate private business practices in the nonprofit sector has been extraordinarily damaging. It has been well-intentioned perhaps, but it has brought the wrong ideas and wrong concepts into what we're actually doing. We are stewards of public trust assets. We are not owners. We are stewards. The people that own the assets that live under us are the citizens of the state in which we operate. You know, very, very few people in our sector actually understand that basic fact and premise of our work. And I think that's one of the thing that's, things that holds us back from more resource sharing and more of the things that are necessary to do the work that fiscal sponsors do, because we're caught up in this notion of we don't share, we have to protect, you know, we're caught up in all these hangups about sharing and lane, uh, loss and gain that come with that private sector thinking. Sorry, I'll stop myself there because I get pretty worked up about that stuff as you can see, as you can see. But and I'm quite sure that many of your listeners listeners will not agree with me on that point. But I, it is something I have come to to believe very strongly. But I think coming back to your question around leadership and management, what we foresee in in the next years to work closely on establishing a, a program and programs that would help create more collaborative problem problem solvers. What we want to see in the community is an engagement, a close engagement of the, uh, with the community about the problems that they have and how together those problems could be solved. So and leader and leaders, what we see, what we work with leaders um, is primarily on change management and how can we influence an effective change management. And we see that's where oftentimes fiscal sponsors need an additional support and leverage. 
I completely uh, agree on the change management front. I think that question comes up a lot just just throughout the sector, right? As we think about leadership and and management and that is something you said about nurturing strong leaders. And I really like the word nurture because I think that that's an aspect that we really don't focus on that much in, in this sector generally, right? We, we're very much about the work and being driven. And, you know, I know so many leaders that are working around the clock and that's sort of praised and rewarded. And so on the one hand, we do recognize that and we want folks who are are passionate and have that work ethic, but you have to engage in that nurturing as well. And so where does it come from? And just even carving out space to say, we need to nurture this leadership as opposed to saying, no, do more, keep going and not taking that space to be nurtured. So I really appreciate all of your thoughts on it. And I'm excited to learn more about the program as well. So Again, I, I can literally keep talking to you all for hours, if not days, not only on fiscal sponsorship, but on the way we're envisioning growing the sector and changing and shifting the sector. So I want to thank you again so much for your time, for your insights and your knowledge. And I'm sure that we will keep this conversation going. I'm, I'm very sure that the leaders who are listening to this are walking away with really practical ways to build their own organizations and how to do that bravely. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. As we wrap up this conversation on fiscal sponsorship, we wanted to share more about BuildUp Inc., a fiscal sponsor and member of the BuildUp Companies. We encourage innovation and creativity, as well as require ideas that attempt to positively change or impact the world and bring unparalleled legal, strategic, and operational expertise and support to fiscal sponsorship. We also bring concepts and ideas to life and operationalize social and economic change. If you would like to explore how Build Up Inc. can address your or your project-specific needs, we will add the link to schedule a discovery call in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Buildup. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.